0: And welcome to TNG Breaking Reality Live. I hope all is well for everyone tonight, or today, for some of my American friends. You know, I do sometimes wonder about these zones that place us all at different times, even different days between some locations. Yet we're all living and breathing in the same moment, right here, right now. Yes, that's right now, Permaculture Hill. A few nights ago, I recorded episode three of Project Monolith, And my guest, Nate, brought up a concept about time in our conversation. He stated that maybe the past is not static, as we are led to believe, but is possibly being rewritten every day. And this leads us into the topic I wanted to talk about tonight, the history hoax. I've been working away producing episode one of Breaking the Timeline, which was a soon-to-be-released history hoax video. However, I've decided to now shelve this project indefinitely. After seeing JLB's amazing live stream last night, where he gave such a great explanation of the history hoax, it dawned on me that I really should divert my attention elsewhere. JohnLeBond.com is, after all, the home of the history hoax. So if there's anybody listening who's not aware of the history hoax, as this obviously sounds totally crazy, let me give you a brief introduction for some context. The history hoax is such a big topic, with so many connotations and revelations. In essence, here a very small group of individuals have discovered that no matter which ancient path into history they delve, there are no primary sources, none for ancient Rome, ancient Greece or ancient Egypt, to name but a few cultures from the long ago. In fact, every time a subject is delved into, a brick wall, or a wireframe mesh is hit around the time period of the 17 to 1800s. Sometimes some of this stuff, like ancient Troy, only tracks back to the early 1900s. There are now countless examples stacking up, and the evidence is pretty undeniable. There are articles on my own site, but the main body of work sits at JohnLebon.com. But what does it mean? What consequence does it have for humanity? Many in the app realm support Fomenko's claims that the timeline is actually true, just not positioned correctly, basing his theory on eclipses of all things. So when looking into any, any given period, he noticed that the astral events did not match up with said history books. But instead of checking the validity of the sources, he just moved the goalposts to fit a projected prediction of an eclipse that matches what is described in the text. The history hoax is damning for Anatoly Fomenko's work. So if the sources for history only go back two to three hundred years, what can we extract from this revelation? Firstly, while many of us have already ascertained that Darwin's theory of evolution is utter nonsense, no transitional fossils just blows that completely out the water. The history hoax completely closes the door on evolutionary theory if mankind has not actually been here on this earth very long because that is, in fact, the implication that we, the human race, have only been here a few hundred years. This is a serious revelation. Let it sink in. So, minds will be suffering cognitive dissonance hearing this for the first time. Appeals to consensus and authority bouncing around inside their heads. But everybody knows history goes back, not thousands, but millions of years. Thoughts of sharing a common ancestor with a monkey invading the brain. And what about all the ruins, the ancient ruins? Just how old are these ancient ruins? Just when were these monuments to a long gone civilization actually built? Well, guess what, you really cannot date a stone. No matter what you may think, it really is not possible. Money-making theme parks for the masses, tourist attractions, and educational tools for the indoctrinated. So I restate, a small group of us based in various locations around the world have been and continue to actively trace the stories that we're given for history. Not one thing has been looked at so far that has yielded anything beyond the 1700s. But anyway, currently there's a new project which is being worked on and I'm one of four people looking into the Renaissance period of four very famous characters that have also become cartoon turtle legends in their own right. For more information on this, you'll need to go to johnlaband.com, the hub for this work. But here is a teaser from my own work, which is secondary to the primary source, research. So what I can say is that while researching my particular character from history, I've realised some strange things about paintings that are supposedly hundreds of years old A thought crossed my mind when engaging with the work of Raphael That all these paintings are in fact created using two particular items One is paint The second is a form of medium with which to brush said paint onto So cloth, board or paper Today the materials used by artists are laced with our society's high technology What do I mean? Well, the paints themselves use the latest pigment technology, primarily invented and refined during the 1900s by the nazi spawned uber-massive chemical corporations, a BASF, Bayer, obviously the owners of Monsanto, Ciba. The list is as long as there are indeed a few companies involved in this area, along with Chinese companies nowadays, that clone said pigments and produce their own versions, based on the same technology invented by the Germans. The same can be said to be true for the papers and materials Materials that the paint is applied to. So these materials in the main are developed to have a long shelf life where needed. The pigments are produced at the same source but are manufactured and used in multiple industries. So not just paint, but also for use in plastics, inks and yes, even our food, the horror, and cosmetic products. So what am I getting at here? Today, paintings in museums are varnished with surface coatings that contain UV additives to protect said picture from light uv light in particular they're still covered with black cloth to protect them when not being viewed and the varnish is periodically removed and restoration experts touch up the paintings and re-varnish Let me explain a simple concept here regarding pigments and materials used for paint applications. Pigments, whether encapsulated in paint, like a resin, plastic, or whatever medium, cannot be protected to this day with the addition of a UV additive into the said medium. So, for example, with plastics, let us say a road cone, something that is used outdoors permanently and is exposed to UV light and the weather on a permanent day-to-day basis, the base polymer, or the plastic, is coloured with a pigment and a UV stabiliser or UV absorber, or a combination of both will be added. The amount of additive used is calculated based on a set criteria. So for a road cone, which has a specific wall thickness with an opacity and concentration of a particular pigment, this will be expected that it's a geographical position when in use will be cited up front and is reported in a specific region such as Northern Europe. This geographical region will receive an average known amount of UV light during any given year and that unit of measurement is called a killer Langley now this is where the capabilities of said technology is shown I mentioned above that the pigments cannot be protected from UV light and this is indeed the case the UV additive is put into said road cone to stop the polymer plastic from degrading or breaking down prematurely and this extends the service life of the product usually up to no more than 10 years with a coloured product A black product can last probably 30 years or more. The pigments have to protect themselves. Pigments are graded with something called the blue wool scale. This was developed in the last century. The blue wool scale goes from a three up to an eight. 3 being poor and will fade rapidly when exposed to UV and an 8 which is fairly impervious and will not fade or at least will take many years to fade when exposed to UV light. The best pigments for light fastness are inorganic based so usually derived from metals and these are usually very opaque while organic pigments are usually not as resistant and have poorer opacity over the last twenty years or so some of the best performing pigments have been banned so for example pigments based on cadmium metal they were virtually bomb-proof but were banned in the nineteen nineties because when items that had been disposed containing said pigments when they were incinerated they left a residue of cadmium metal which is poisonous to people animals and the environment. Also, for many years prior to cadmium-based pigments, lead-based pigments were used. These again have been banned for obvious reasons, but these never had the high light fastness of the cadmium-type pigments. Nowadays, pigments are manufactured from other metals such as iron, titanium, zinc and chrome oxides. These usually have high light fastness, but not all grades, but none have ever been on par with the performance of the cadmium pigments. And to give you an idea here, and what I'm kind of getting at, cadmium metal was discovered in 1817 and cadmium pigments were developed shortly after around 1820 so prussian blue was the first modern synthetic pigment discovered by accident in 1704 by the early 19th century synthetic and metallic blue pigments had been added to the range of blues so that includes french ultramarine a synthetic form of lapis lazuli and the various forms of cobalt and cerulean blue what i'm trying to get across here is that the pigments used prior to the 1800s were essentially shit so when it comes to colour vibrance opacity and more importantly lightfastness why would they be? UV light was not discovered until the 1800s some of the pigments used by the classical artists were ground up minerals for example ground lapis lazuli, which produced an ultramarine blue, but on the whole the pigments used for mainly were mainly siennas and umbers based on raw oxides, which are iron and manganese, and all had very poor light fastness compared to, to today's high-performance products, so they would fade rapidly in light. So my point here is none of this UV technology existed until the 1950s with the development of UV absorbers. And to give you an idea, I had a look um, for some information, basically from maybe a painter of today. So I found a guy called Dominique Amendola, who's been a painter in oils since 1975. And he quotes that he's shown and sold his work all over the world. But there's one thing that when he's asked about the pigments, the paints, a painting, how long it'll last. His quote is, an oil painting on cotton canvas will last 50 years, then it will rot. So let me say that again. An oil painting on cotton canvas will last 50 years, then it will rot. Now in Raphael's case, My Turtle, we have an oil painting called Transfiguration and it's the most famous oil painting in the world. So how many coatings of varnish has the Transfiguration been subjected to since 1520? In fact, when was the first one applied? I'd like your answers on a postcard, please. The official story is that the painting was hung on a wall in 1523 in Rome, after Raphael's death, which was in 1520, in a place called San Pitro in Montorio, I think that's how it's pronounced, where it was on a display until, wait for it, until the end of the 18th century, the late 1700s. No varnish, no protection, nothing for almost 200 years. This is the official story. Remember what I just said about the 50 years and then rotting? Interesting, isn't it? So if you're interested in this line of thought, all well, this and a whole lot more will be showcasing at johnlebon.com very soon. I'll put a link to an introductory article below. And we have in the team myself, a Brandon Berry, Dapidapid and Shadow Tiger, each taking an artist. And I'm reliably informed that JLB himself would be contributing something to the party that will be crushing to all you Ninja Assassin fans out there. Anyway, I'll hope you join me for the Project Monolith episode 4. Episode 3, Monster Santo, the full version, is now available to watch or download when you sign up as a free member of TNGBreakingReality.com. That's it for today. This has been Technonosis. It's goodbye for now. Goodbye.